Would you pray with me? Loving God, we hear hard words from you in your scripture this day. In the story and the song of Isaiah's vineyard, we hear of people who do not trust in justice and whose lives do not lead to it, and you remove your protection. As we dive into your difficult words, we ask that your spirit would send, uh, would be with us. Open our ears, open our hearts. Let us hear your still small voice speaking to us so that we might not only find correction, but we might find hope, guidance, and instill within us a fire and desire to serve you in a world that desperately needs you. Amen. Our next reading comes from the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and then we're jumping up to chapter 11. These two passages are not traditionally read together, but they do speak to one another. Starting in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not already done? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it we yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. We continue in Isaiah in chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge but by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Last week, I misspoke a little bit. I had talked about how Isaiah, we had make it, made a leap in time, when the reality is, I misspoke. The challenge for the prophets is they're happening at the exact time that various kings are in power, in both the north and in the southern kingdom. If you remember, the northern kingdom is about ten tribes large, and the southern kingdom is all of Judah, the one tribe. There is one tribe left that is relatively spread out between the two of them, and that's the Levites, the priestly class, the priestly tribe. So there's this division that has happened, and there's kings in this history that rise up, and some of them do good, and some of them do evil, and more do evil than good. More turn away from God and God's teaching than turn towards him. And as we talked about with Hosea last week, the prophets like Isaiah and Hosea and the others are not necessarily predicting exactly what the future holds, but they're telling the people that they're on a path that is taking them away from God's will and God's plan. And if they keep following that path, bad things will happen. And they're using language, both Hosea and now Isaiah, they're using metaphors, they're using stories to try to get the people to understand what's going on. And the first passage that I read for you is Isaiah proclaiming and telling the people, listen in, let me tell you of my beloved's vineyard. My beloved did so much to prepare this vineyard. He, he hoed the ground, he brought in fresh soil, he built up a wall to protect it. He planted the choicest vines, and he built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he cared for this vineyard, expecting it to grow magnificent grapes for making Now, the grape growing process takes time. I remember when my uncle had planted a few grapes in his backyard and, and hoping that they would grow up and start yielding some grapes. He was going to try to make his own wine. I don't think that ever panned out. And the grapes weren't all that tasty to eat either, so this might relate back to the story. But it took a long time between pre preparing those vines to the point where it was producing enough grapes to do anything worthwhile with them before the grapes were full size, before anything was ready. And so this, this notion of this vineyard, the, the beloved is taking care in time, not only the work that it takes to prepare the grounds, to prepare the soils, to build the wall, to build a watchtower, but also intending the vineyard so that it would grow these beautiful grapes that would be used to make magnificent wine which is what a vineyard is ultimately there to do. And so we have this sense of time and intent. I remember I, I've always uh, fashioned myself a desire to be a gardener. I've never really been one. I've never been good at it. Uh, both a mixture of brown thumb and an aversion to hard work probably is a combination of the two. I remember moving rocks and trying to move this dirt pile from one place to another to prepare the space, to, to lay out the edges of the garden. And I've done this a few times, both at where I used to live, at my father-in-law's house, wherever I could be, I would try to make these raised beds to these spaces 
where the right things would grow where I wanted them to, and they would grow well, producing what I wanted them to produce. And by the end of the season, something happened along the way that oftentimes it didn't give me what I expected, didn't give me what I had uh, intended, didn't give me what I had planned for, didn't give me what I had put worth what I had put into the ground. And so I can relate to what's going on in this passage in that way. To put all of that time and effort and energy into it, there's a reason there's a book called The $60 Tomato that exists right now. Because gardening is hard. It takes intent, and you put a ton of time and money and energy into it, and oftentimes it either doesn't work out or you don't get what you expect. And that's what's happened. Isaiah's beloved's vineyard, we don't know yet, no, in the story, we see it coming that it's God in the God's vineyard, but we don't see it there. Isaiah's beloved's vineyard is there, and he's telling this metaphor, this parable, and the, the, the language shifts. It's no longer Isaiah telling the people about his beloved's uh, vineyard. The beloved speaks itself and says, judge between me and my vineyard. You make the decision. What more could I have done? Prepared the soil. I've chose the choicest vines. I've tended to it and cared for it. I've protected it from the elements and marauders and anything else that might destroy it. What more could I have done? Now, he doesn't wait for an answer because it's either the answer is there's no more that could be done or there really is no way to judge between a vineyard and a person. But then the great reveal comes. The vineyard is Israel. The vines are the people. The grapes that they're producing are wild grapes, sour grapes. Not men even, not good enough to make wine, barely good enough to eat. They are not producing what the vineyard was created and intended to produce. And at the very end, we hear what that was. Justice. Equality. These are the things that God had intended for this vineyard to produce, and it did not. And so we hear very difficult words, especially today. God does not actually say the. He's going to destroy the vineyard. He's just going to remove his care. The work that he put into building the walls to protect it, he's taking down. The work that he was doing to remove the weeds and all of that, he's no longer doing. The only thing that God directly does in this metaphor, this, this narrative, that, that directly impacts the garden as he tells the rain to no longer, the clouds to no longer rain on it. But everything else, he simply lets it be. We have pointing back to Hosea. I'm just going to let it go. Whatever you choose to do, you do. Whatever happens as a result of that happens. Whatever happens when it no longer has my protection happens. It's not God causing it. It's simply the natural outcome of what happens. And in upon hearing this, it's incredibly terrifying for all of us. 
What if God removes his protection from us? What if God removes and keeps his love and protection from Israel? In that story, in this passage, is there any hope? Is there any future that's possible? Is all lost? And this is why we jump forward to Isaiah chapter 11. The stump is there. This could also be translated as a log that had fallen down. The, the, The language here. There is a stump. But out of that stump, a shoot rises up. Out of that stump, a remnant of the tree, a remnant of what was, rises up out of the roots. It's connected to and a part of what existed before. It's not a completely distinct uh, plant. It's not something that, that is taking over in its place. It's an offshoot. It's a carrying on. It's a regrowth and rebirth of what was. And I think that's key. Is rightfully so for Christians, we read this passage as though it is predicting Jesus' coming. The offshoot from the, the, the root of Jesse, the one who will, uh, who will judge with righteousness, whose, whose voice will be a, of truth will be as of a sword. And he will not judge according to what he sees or what he hears, but by what cannot be seen and cannot be heard. And so we as Christians read Jesus here, saying this is pointing to the one who would come and who is coming yet. And we think that's right, but it's not the only. It's not the only way to read this passage. And like most passages, you can't open up the Bible and say, this is what it says, this is what it means, and I never have to deal with it again. This passage provided hope and still provides hope who do not know Christ, who do not proclaim Christ. This passage is one that spoke to the people in Isaiah's time long before Jesus came and speaks to Jews today and gives hope. And that hope is no matter how bleak things look, no matter how destroyed something looks, no matter if you think it is so bleak that no good could possibly ever come, from something that appears to be dead, new life is possible. There is hope. I remember walking through the woods. My grandparents had a cabin up in the mountains, uh, Huntington County, uh, Racetown Lake area. I don't know if you know it, but there was a great, beautiful mountains. uh, And we would walk through the woods, and every once in a while, you would come across a tree that had fallen at some point in the past. It was either breaking down in some form, some further along from others, but there was a tree that had fallen over and you could see its root system, and the root system that was holding this tree into the ground at one point was taller than me. We saw this in Alaska as well when we were walking through the woods, this, these trees that were so majestic and so grand and so amazing that the roots closest to the tree when it fell over to the flare was taller than an adult. And it's easy to look at that. It's easy to see a majestic tree that had been cut down. And it's easy to think that this is the end for that tree. It's just going to wither away. It's going to disappear. It's going to dissipate, be reclaimed into the soil. But the tree itself would be gone forever. 
But what I found on my walks and what I found uh, in various instances where I find these trees and seen them before is that somehow out of the roots or somehow out of the stump, after a tree has fallen, and there's, there's, there's a tree, I wish I had found the image for you, maybe I'll send it out in the weekly email. There's a tree where there's hardly any soil anywhere around the roots. And yet the tree has found a way for new growth to rise out of it in what we thought and what looks like a hopeless situation. This is what I want you to hear today. Because some of you, maybe in your personal lives, in your relationships, or as you look at our church today, you look around and see what was once majestic, what was once big and powerful, what once stood out among the trees, what stood out among the churches, what stood out among uh, life itself, now looks like it's been cut, cut down. Looks like it's decaying. Looks like all is lost. Looks like there is no hope. There is no way new life can come through it. It looks like the end. You've reached a dead end somewhere and you just think there is no way out of this. You look as hard as we work and you see so many empty pews around you and say there is no way out of this. There is no life that could come from this. It's just slowly, gradually being reabsorbed into the ground around us. But what this passage can tell us is that as bleak as things look, as hard as things seem, as dead as things look, in our life or anywhere else, there is always a chance, there is only a hope for a new life to come. An offshoot of what was into something that is alive. Now that offshoot oftentimes does not grow to look exactly like the tree that had been cut down or that fell down. It's the same species, it's the same root system, it's the same life, but in its fullest expression, when it grows into what it will be, will have been shaped by the life that it now lives the circumstances that it now finds itself in, the transformation that happens around it, the, the seasons of droughts and of plenty, the seasons of warmth and summer and rains and harsh winters, whether it gets crowded out for a little while as it's struggling to grow, all of these things shape what this new life will become, and it will look different than what was but it is still life. It is still a carrying on of that original life that seemed dead, that seemed destitute, that seemed lost, but is now alive. This should give us hope. This should give us a desire to, to nurture that growth, to see in our own lives where we think all is lost, to look at that and say, God, Help me to see where new life is possible. Help me to see where you are nourishing the roots of this new life taking place, where transformation can happen and growth can occur. And one day, this offshoot that will grow will provide air 
will provide shade, will for, provide protection for all those that will grow out and underneath it. This is what we get from trees. That, and this is what we get from a church that we desperately need to nourish that new life that will look different. But it will be from that same source of life. For Isaiah, the desire and for God, the desire was for the people to show justice, equity, life, to judge the meek and the poor with equity. God has a plan for this world that is not just spiritual, that is not just uh, in our heads and not just about our comfort, but is transforming our world for the sake of others. Here's some things that I'd like you to talk about, to think about, pray about with that one another as you grow. Where do you see new life, new shoots starting to take root and starting to grow? Can you see them even now? Do we have to remove some of the leaf litter around it to find it so that it can grow? And what can we do to nurture that growth? If we're not seeing it yet, how can we patiently wait? How can we set up the conditions needed for the new, to give that new growth a chance? And outside of the church, as you look in your own lives, maybe this is something you need to focus on as well. What parts of your life, what parts of relationships, whatever they may be, what parts seem like they've reached a dead end and have no hope? What parts feel like they've been cut down in front of you and you ha see no way of anything good coming from it? And how can you pray and how can you live in the face of that cutting, in the face of that fallen and that breaking, knowing and trusting that God will bring new life? How do you give yourself? How do you find the energy? How do you find the focus? How do you find the intent to give that space and that time to happen?